to remember. I hate you, and I wish you both had cancer. Cancer? Yes, in the head. <laughs> I'm as bad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. Are you telling me you built a time machine? Out of a DeLorean? This is the stupid answer. Sounds like somebody's got a case of the Mondays. <laughs> Don't worry, I got an idea. And now, the host of the Stupid Cancer Show, Matthew Zach. Woohoo! Not that there's anything wrong with him. Because he has a lot of chip spots. <laughs> Monday, November 24th, and welcome to the Stupid Cancer Show, the voice of young adult cancer. I am your host. Matthew Zachary, a proud 18-year young adult survivor of brain cancer. And uh, let's give it up for the uh, rest of my team here, Kenny Kane. Hello? I'm Kenny Kane, co-founder of Stupid Cancer, welcoming all of our first-time and returning listeners on Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, iHeartRadio Talk, or listen to the archives on stupidcancershow.org. And I'm Maureen Sweet, Manager of Programs and Operations here at Stupid Cancer, and I will be live tweeting throughout the broadcast at Chemodex. So send me your questions and feedback at any time using the hashtag SCRadio. It is not okay that 72,000 young adults are diagnosed with cancer each and every year. So, got cancer? Under 40? Sucks, huh? Time to get busy living, folks, because the Stupid Cancer Show is changing the world. One chemo infusion at a time. And tonight's show is the Cancer Insurance Checklist. Yes, it's a real thing, created collaboratively amongst dozens of patient advocate groups. Join us tonight as we welcome Linda House, who is the Executive Vice President of External Affairs at the Cancer Support Community, and Elizabeth Hoffler, who is the Senior Director of Policy and Advocacy at Prevent Cancer Foundation, to talk about the Cancer Insurance Checklist and Special Survivor Spotlight Returning Champion Heather Swift. Hello, everyone. Good evening. Happy almost Thanksgiving. Yes, a few days away. What have I told you about breaking script? <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing for Thanksgiving, Kenny? Uh, Besides uh, eating any gorging? I'm yeah. I'm gonna see if I can eat an entire turkey, <laughs> and then drink the rest of the way. And since you're uh, 28th consecutive try. <laughs> <laughs> I assume there'll be plenty of prepared baked goods and whatnot, given your uh, family's penchant for skilled culinary. Yes. Yes. The, the Sentinel Baker. Yes, exactly. We're <laughs> using SAT words. And Maureen, you're uh, oh. I'll be heading to Pennsylvania. Not Ohio? Interestingly. No, I won't be going to Ohio. Ohio's a bit far. Oh. Um, so my godmother and her family, so she's my aunt and her mother and children, I'll live just outside Philly in Collegeville, Pennsylvania, so I'll be heading down there to have Thanksgiving there, and I'm very excited about it, hmm. and I'm going to eat a lot. Pennsylvania's better anyways. I expect nothing. Than Ohio? Else. Yes. That's so, the Penn State, hey, that's why. And Sean uh, Shapiro, by the way, our director of development. Hey, guys. Good evening. Hello. What are your... And my nemesis. What are your... Yes. What are your <laughs> non-Ohio uh, plans? I'm drinking lots of Mad Elf, which is uh, <laughs> brewed by Trogues Brewery uh, in Pennsylvania. It's 11% alcohol by volume, and it's a delightful seasonal beverage. Will you be home as well then? Oh, yeah. Hmm? Let's party in Philly. Let's do it. Yeah, okay, except I have to be home that night. <laughs> I'm getting a ride. Okay, got it. So, yeah. I'll just make sure your driver drinks some Mad Elf, and then we'll be good to go to just stay in Philly. Oh. Okay, cool. Great. Yep. That's like, what's that Plenty. called? Like, drunken Sabotage. Yeah, I like it. Wish no driving, drinking. Absolutely yeah. no driving. Just right. staying in Philly. It's wishful drinking. Wishful drinking. Mm-hmm. And Mallory? Well, I have the sheer joy of attending not one, not two, but three Thanksgiving dinners what? on Thanksgiving. In, in a row? In a row. Are you a marathon? <laughs> I, I have two sides of my family and then my very close family friends. So I will be... Partaking in three full uh, yeah. meals. Did you call like the Food Network for the the Woman versus Food Challenge or something? The the real goal is is you got to do 
one full course at each one. This is not my first rodeo. Um, so you do a meal in one place, you do half a meal in the other place, and then you eat nothing but dessert in the last place. As a mutual ACOD, I can relate to this right. story yeah. of sadness. Well, Split Thanksgiving. Yes. Fun stuff. Well, we have some fun special guests in the studio tonight. We are joined on the couch by Paul and Elise Berman, who are waving Ooh. on the radio. Welcome. And Melinda Hood, one of our fabulous marathon team, Stupid Cancer, Steering Uber Advocate Steering Committee, Overly worked. Meetup planner. Helplessly exhausted volunteer epic advocate. Welcome in the studio. She's waving also on the radio. Paul also advocates very well. Paul builds Android apps like a mad mother. Good stuff, bro. Like like a mad mother. Like yeah. a mother who is angry. I don't feel like cursing tonight. I don't know why. That's good. Oh. I just don't. Oh. Is it because you're sad? Yeah, I am sad. That's a good segue. And I'm sad because Kenny is leaving stupid cancer. I am. I've I've found Finally. I've found oh I've found God. places that will pay you me found Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I I found a place too that'll pay me lots of money. <laughs> I'm moving into his desk. Yes. So Maureen is the new CEO. I'm gonna be moving to manager of programs and operations. It's gonna be great. I know. Yeah, real big shake up. Yeah, we are saying uh farewell adieu, Avida Zane to Maureen Sweet are phenomenal. Yeah. Two years and a few months, right? Two years and two one years. month. Still impressive. I started the day of Hurricane Sandy. Oh, I do my best to empower my employees. Yeah. So I started with a couple of days off. Two years in the Bushmills. Yeah. Two years, a couple of bottles of Bushmills later. And where are you headed? I am headed to the New York City Campaign Finance Board, where I will audit political campaigns, which sounds really fun to me and really boring to a lot of other people. So I'm going to look at the finances of campaigns all day. And in the meantime, I'm going to become an accountant. And then I'll be really good at money things. And I'll come back and join the board and <laughs> in five impart years. wisdom. <laughs> well, yeah. we're very proud of you. And Thank we're very you. proud that you found your voice fixing our problems. <laughs> they were never problems. I just... Our problems still exist. <laughs> maybe, maybe I created I'm them. staring at one of them right now. Yes. <laughs> our problems still exist. Kenny is still going to be here. But, um, yeah, we wish you well. You've been extraordinary um, to us, and uh, we hope you've learned a lot and found your time here valuable. We've prepared an 80s song for you. Okay, I'm so ready. (laughs) No, I don't really have an 80s song. You you do have at least something to rickroll me. There we go. (laughs) (laughs) This is all I could ask. It's the the last radio show. It's the least I could do. I'll never give you up either, man. (laughs) If I could have done any less, (laughs) I would have. Well, goodbye, Maureen. Goodbye. Thank you. Like I'll be here for the whole show. Then. Like goodbye, Irene, or something like that. Come on, Irene. Right, but whatever. I tried. I shouldn't sing I really on the show. Tried. No. I made it two years without singing on the show. <laughs> yeah, I you made it. You made it. Wow. Yeah. We're going to go back and edit that. <laughs> <laughs> Very nice. Very nice. Well, in all seriousness, we really do uh, We thank you for your, your uh, amazing work. Thank you. Building And thank cancer. you for being my first real career stop. Yep. It's no. amazing. Wait, you mean that other stuff before? What other stuff that before? Time work I that was we do not speak. Job. Yeah. This is my first nice. full-time job. All right, you had like three when we met you. Yeah, two. Well, when you met me, I had two in school, and then right. I had two, and then I had one. It was such a pup, and now you're turning 24. 25. I already did that. I'm right. two dozen. 25. Oh, my goodness. Quarter of a century. Oh, my God. Wow. It's like Kenny turning 28. I met him when he was like 18 or something. It's... Absurd. <laughs> yeah. in, in utero. In any case, before we uh, get to our, our opening guest, we did have a major announcement today on the Stupid Cancer Show. We yes. launched registration for CancerCon, our international uh, patient summit in Denver next April, cancercon.org. And uh, we have a really special program um, lined up next year, including a way for people that may not be able to afford to attend to fundraise for travel scholarships. Sean Shapiro, please tell us about the CancerCon VIP Club. Yes, the CancerCon VIP Club is a wonderful way to get super involved um, on your own schedule with CancerCon. Um, And it's just literally changing lives by uh, helping fundraise for CancerCon and stupid cancer in general. Um, So there's various levels uh, that you hit and you receive all these great rewards. And you help ensure that we are successful and and making a difference for the young adult cancer community. So check out um, the VIP Club on CancerCon.org. Scroll down a little bit, and you'll see more information on the VIP Club. And I am there personally to help each and every one of you guys uh, with your fundraising efforts. So look forward to working uh, with you guys. Right, and just to let people know, the agenda 
it's a, it's really exciting this year. We have a couple of them. Actually, they're all pretty wonderful um, workshops. We have um, uh, some specific programs just for blood cancer, just for uh, survivorship as a fun run. We have um, breakouts on physical effects, the ups and downs of intimacy, caregiver burnout, being single with cancer, grieving and loss, working through treatment and taking time off. Like really some amazing stuff that we put together. Uh, Sean, one last thing. Uh, yeah, and just before I forget, I just wanted to note that we all already have some great fundraisers out there that have raised over $3,000 for the already? club. Already? $3,000 already in one day or Presumably, <laughs> we've been we've been, running little, yeah. <laughs> we've been running for for a couple of weeks now, but it's it's now up and running in full, and uh, look forward to to more. Well, it's really exciting. Cancercon.org, not going away. That's the domain for all time. So, good luck to anyone looking to fundraise. Sean really is your man, and and his social security number is. No, that's not going <laughs> out there. No. You're all right. Well, now my sister. <laughs> Your sister's going to fundraise for us? No, Heather Swift. Oh, oh, you're, yes, your ginger sister. All righty, let's get on with the show here. Heather Swift, spirited and tenacious two-time cancer survivor, has been an advocate and educator in the young adult cancer community since her first diagnosis in 1998 when she was just a pup. Her passion for creating change has led her to study oncology nursing where she can work her magic from the other side of the stethoscope. Please welcome back. To the stupid cancer show, the one and only Heather Swift. Heather. Hey. Hey, my daughter. How are you? Hey, Melinda Hood. Hey, Sean Shapiro. Hey, Matthew. Hey. <laughs> Hi there. How I'm are you? Welcome I'm missing to the show. Pizza on the couch. Yes. Well, you were here in person last time, weren't you? I was not. No, but I'm going to be in the city on Monday night, this, this coming week. You couldn't tell us that wow. before we booked the show. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're I didn't more know. I, I didn't know. I have a freshman in college down there. Remember? That's, so she just right, gave me the right. Thanksgiving skinny last night at eleven forty-one. Got it. Well, you uh, are clearly a very well-known young adult cancer advocate, and uh, you've kind of been through the ringer, as have we all. But your your story is very compelling, and and. Um, I'd love you to just retell it to our audience. What happened to you in 1998? Um, in 1998, I had recently moved to Ithaca. I had a six-month-old wonderful little baby boy and a beautiful two-year-old baby girl. And <laughs> My husband and I decided to separate, and I moved in with uh, a woman and her husband that I met at the gym um, maybe a month or so before, and Soon after then, I was two weeks after I was diagnosed with ovarian cancer. So it was a it was an interesting ride, especially at the beginning. Um, we moved six times in six months. Um, my relationship with my uh, you know separated spouse was not uh, anything where he wanted to provide any help or support. And uh, you know, we little pea pods. We we ran through it on our own with the, you know, with the support and encouragement of, of friends and family. So. Well, I mean, I, I, we like to make the point that young adult cancer is very different. You had a, a young, very young child, and how did that impact your ability to care for, to, to be a mom in this case? And, and, and oh, it's devastating. Your... <laughs> it was devastating. You know, think back to when, you know, when your twins were that age, you know, either age, six months or two years, um, I was in a position where when I was getting treatment, I couldn't pick up one child to put um, him or her in a in a car seat or in a, um, you know, in a high chair or nurse or, um, you know, to, to comfort and rock. There were a lot of um, different moments that... What felt natural as a parent was something that was unavailable to me, <clears throat> and you know I just did what did what I could do as you know as we didn't have any money, we didn't have a car, I didn't have a job, and um, yeah, <laughs> God, it sounds like such a sad story. But it's, um, it's, it's but then as things unfolded, you know, you just 
you just do, you know. I think that I think that a lot of times we just do and we don't have time to think about the resources that we have or don't have. And I think that, um, yeah, in those situations, you just do the next right thing. And, um, you know, I, I told my kids that wherever we were was home. You know, home is when we're together. It's not an apartment. It's not a house. It's not a place. Home is where we are together. And, um, you know, it's still, uh, I still have the opportunity to be very physically close with the kids. Um, and, you know, as on the other side of treatment, um, I really, you know, I spent a lot of time. I worked at night so I could be with the kids during the day and engaged in their school and life and so forth. And um, when I was diagnosed then with breast cancer in 2005 um that was a real shock but i think i just you know i think we sort of went into a different i'm sorry sorry was that related to the ovarian because i i see here that you have BRCA2 yeah i'm a BRCA2 so yeah i have to i have this mortgage board so what is what is BRCA two then? Because obviously we hear about BRCA one. Um, what does that necessarily mean for you, uh, short or long term, for your family genetic history and whatnot? Um, basically, uh, my kids. It's an autosomal um, genetic mutation of everyone has the BRCA gene. You have the BRCA one and the BRCA two gene. Everybody has the genes, but the the hitch and the get along comes with a with the mutation. So if you are a mutation carrier for either one or two, um, you have, there is a predisposition to different um, cancers. And um, a lot of what gets a lot of press is, is for women, but they, they're also, you know, they're also male-associated cancers. Men get breast cancer, men get, men get prostate cancer. There's also a connection with salivary gland cancer now. Um, so there's a predisposition. Both of my kids have been offered to have a, have a test. Uh, my daughter, who will be 19 in December, is, is waiting, as is my son. So, I, and I guess that's a that was a struggle as a parent too to sort of put some of those things out there because that's that's heavy. It's heavy as a teenager. It's heavy any time, but um, you know, I felt like it was something that was important for us to discuss as we were talking about sex and body changes and sexuality and, you know, um, all of those changes within within our bodies. I mean, it really is something that sort of seemed like a natural progression to discuss with both of them. Right, and and that is clearly a a young adult issue is how do you talk to and or raise children in the wake of diagnosis, let alone this relapse. I do want to point out that you know um, it was one of those like thank God it's not cancer, but you you had a catastrophic biking accident a couple of years ago, and another one of those like you'll you won't ever work, walk again, or and now you're you're back in action years later. How did that affect anything else in your life? Because you probably were already at that point of taking nothing for granted and appreciating things. I mean, you were out living and doing your doing your thing, and this accident happened. Can you talk us through that? I um well I was winning. <laughs> it was one of those moments where you're like, yes, I'm winning. Um, no, I uh, it was I don't know if it was stupid or not. I was uh, mountain biking uh, with friends in uh, Maine, and um, I actually was trying to take the wimpy side of this this race terrain mountain biking thing. Uh, down the hill, and my friend went ahead because he was familiar with the area supposedly, and and took took off into the woods. And uh, when I went in, there was a 20 foot drop. I did an end over end. I came down on my face, um, broke my helmet, my nose, my chin, three ribs, hit a tree, um, broke two vertebrae, and bounced down the cliff. So not only did bumbles bounce and figures bounce, but swifties bounce. Um, I guess again, the hardest thing for me was was my 
kids. Um, my daughter was, uh, so it was 2009. My daughter, she used, I don't know, how how long is that ago, Matthew? <laughs> About five she years. Like, she was like 14. She was like 13 or 14, and she literally, she ran the house. I mean, uh, my dragon boat team, the uh, Ithaca Gorgeous Dragons here in Ithaca, brought uh, food to our house. Uh, I think every day for about eight weeks. So I was stoned. I mean, my mom came up and I was I was on oxycodone for a good long time. But um, I think that there's I don't know I, I there's some swifty spirit that uh, I sort of latched onto with that in between having my family take away my credit cards. Because I was ordering things online while I was stoned. <laughs> oh. Yeah. <laughs> there goes your college fund. Um, right. But it, I just, like, I hung on to this idea that um, you can't tell me what to do. You can't tell me what, I'm, what I can do. You can't tell me what I'm going to be able to do. And, you know, being in a situation where you have you know, your 13 or 14-year-old daughter giving you a sponge bath because you can't get out of bed to go to the bathroom. Right. Um, you know, that's that's a powerful motivator. You know, I mean, my so kids would come, they'd wait till I'd take my oxy and then they'd come make fun of me. <laughs> so, <laughs> you can't whoop somebody's ass from the bed. That is true. But now, 2014, you are probably well, Knockwood. You're healthy. Um, yes. I'm yes. you're dealing with some side effects because no one really escapes unscathed. But right. I'd love you to talk about your um your uh you know you you are a really powerful voice for the young adult cancer movement and you have been ever since I first met you many many years ago. Um what there's obviously been so many changes in the last couple of years, we've seen so many things sprout up and you've been very heavily invested in what we do when you work with Livestrong and Mass Kickers, the National Breast Cancer Coalition, and Angels. Um, and now you want to become an oncology nurse. That is quite an extraordinary shift. Uh, what persuaded you to move in that direction? Um, gosh. Um, well, first, thank you for that's very complimentary. Um, I really wanted to be able to affect change from literally the other side of the stethoscope. Um, I think that one of the most powerful relationships that happens in um, a care setting, the relationship that the patient has with a nurse, and people have great relationships with um, their oncologist and you know, and support staff and, and aides and, you know, all the amazing people that pull together to create a healthcare team. However, the most contact that most people have when they're, um, when they're in treatment is with their oncology nurses. And that's, I mean, that's where the rubber meets the road. If you're going to have a reaction while you're having chemo, that's who's going to save your life. You know, that's who's going to talk to you about you know, about the potential effects of, you know, on your sexuality or whatever. Um, Because I think that because especially now, the time that we're living in where cancer is, you know, more people are surviving cancer and it's becoming much more of a chronic disease. I sort of hate to say that because it sounds, I don't know. Um, Anyway, we really, really need some passionate, passionate uh, educators, um, nurse navigators, uh, nurses, um, you know, just folks that are that are going to work with someone from the moment of their diagnosis, just like stupid cancer, from the moment of your diagnosis and on. Um, that's really, it's just a powerful, powerful experience. And uh, I'm in an oncology center currently, and the folks that just come back in, I mean, it's it's amazing. I mean, you have people that quit treatment and you have people that, you know, that pass on. You have, um, you know, people that ring the bell at the end of their chemo and come back in and say the most amazing things to you. You know, you just, 
don't know what effect you're going to have on people. And, um, you know, caring for, caring for people like you, caring for people like me from the other side is, you know, it's just, a, a, just drives me, just drives me. So what do you foresee as some of the biggest challenges of crossing the fence, so to speak? Because you may be, you know, uh, I would hate to use the word like tainted, but you're you're coming to the table with an existing series of emotional re- relationships with a lot of the conditions that the people you will be helping serve. We actually done a few shows with oncology nurses who are themselves young adult cancer survivors and even oncologists mm-hmm. who are young adult survivors, and they've they've always felt and express that there's, there's a really hard balance to strike. Um, and, uh, and is that something that in your um, education toward this career track that you are prepared for or that you have assistance from your uh, or guidance from the, uh, the educators uh, for your certifications? That's really interesting question, Matt. Um, I just wrote, I just wrote a, a 12-page paper about um, sort of the the values and ethics, uh, like choosing an idea that that would be a, a personal struggle for me. So someone comes in and says, "Whatever, I have this. This is staged at this. This is how I want to treat it." And say that goes against everything that you know, every fiber of my being as what's going to be the best thing for them. And um, I think that because of my experience within my own personal experience, and then my experience within the cancer community is I've seen so many different scenarios. I've I've heard so many stories, and um, people choose things all the time that I wouldn't necessarily choose for myself. It doesn't matter whether I agree with it or not. It it you know it matters that you know that's the only di- difference between you choosing choosing something for you and me choosing something for me is is that. You know, I don't have any right to to judge you. My my job is to support you, and and I've been in that position, you know, for the last fifteen years. Um, and I think that that really has put me in a good space because um, I think about those things. Like I I consciously recognize that, and. Um, you know, it's hard when you have somebody coming in for chemo that, you know, is, is morbidly obese or is, you know, reeks of smoke or, you know, but that person, you know, is treated with the same love and care and compassion and given the same education and support as, as I mean, it's, it's, it's not about personalities. And, and you know, it's, it's hard to remove judgment from, you know, from some circumstances, but, you know, I I treat people the way that I want people to treat me. And I, I have a hard time, <laughs> I have a hard time sometimes being judged or, or criticized, you know, not, not constructive criticism, but sort of negative criticism. It's a, it's a little hard for, a little twinkle toes, but... Well, Heather, we have about uh, a minute or so left. I, I would love you to just share with our crowd here, you know, what what is your message to other young adults? I mean, you are such the embodiment of having to be steadfast and picking yourself up by your bootstraps and, and just dealing with what you have because you have to deal with it. But, you know, what's your takeaway to the people out there that look up to you so much? My My, oh, wow. It's nice that you say people look up to me. That's very thoughtful um, and kind. Um, I, I guess that, that my big focus is not on not on being strong, not on being what somebody else wants you to be, but <clears throat> really just being where you are. And you'll get to where you have to be if you're, you know, where you are. If you need to have a cry and somebody else wants you to, you know, do a little dance. Just have a cry. You have to be where you are, and you know, and surround yourself with people who are okay with that. And and there will be people that aren't. And it doesn't mean that you can't be around them. It just means that you you don't want to be around them when you cry or when you you know throw shit. I mean, life is hard, and it's okay to put on a helmet and break some shit. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. 
um, it's just getting stuck in that spot that makes things really difficult. So, you know, if you just keep moving through whatever it is, you know, feel it, experience it, roll with it, and then try to, you know, to keep moving on to the next thing. So there's there's good stuff out there for all of us. Well, I, I really I can't thank you enough for coming back on the radio show, and we do look forward to seeing you next week if you're in New York City. Heather Swift, two-time young adult survivor, patient advocate extraordinaire. Shazam. Shazam. Her takeaways <laughs> are that her Shazam. Empathy, input, connectedness, uh, reality, and uh, she is a, clearly an activator. Find her. Heather Swift is fill in the blank. She's amazing. She's a ginger. Ginger. <laughs> Thank I you, Heather. You guys. All right, I love, love you too. Take care of yourself. All right, Kenny. Let's get up the news here. Hello, I'm Kent Brockman, and this is I on Cancer. Just the facts, ma'am. All right, head on over to events.stupidcancer.org. That is events.stupidcancer.org, your one-stop shop calendar for all of our social and educational events happening nationwide, something to be happening in your neck of the woods, and we certainly don't want you missing out. All right, it's lightening up with the holiday season, but we have two, uh, Delafield, Wisconsin, and Houston, Texas. Very nice. Cancer isn't lonely. We've got a cure for that. Yes, we're talking about Instapeer, our free mobile app that brings instant, anonymous, one-to-one peer support for anyone affected by cancer, visit instapeer.org and sign up to join our iOS beta testing community. That's instapeer.org. All right. We've launched a newsfeed aggregator on Pinterest for all the articles, blogs, and stories we couldn't possibly have the time to post on social media. Check out what we're reading 24-7 and don't miss a beat. Subscribe at stupidcancer.org forward slash feed. Cancer is expensive. We're proud to announce Cancer Made Me Broke. Dot com, a national partnership with Give Forward, the number one platform to start a medical fundraiser. You didn't ask to get sick, and your community really does want to help you. Visit CancerMadeMeBroke.com to learn more and start your personal fundraiser today. All right, Black Friday and Cyber Monday are upon us. Check out our social feed this Friday to find out more about our weekend sale. It's always a good time to stock up on your stupid cancer gear. StupidCancerStore.org. Be proud. Wear stupid cancer. And that is your Stupid Stupid Cancer News. All right, let's get this party started. Introducing our guests here, we are joined tonight by Linda House, the Executive Vice President of External Affairs for the Cancer Support Community, where she oversees the development, marketing, and communications, and public policy efforts of the national organization. She has... 30 years of experience working in the cancer care environment, including direct patient care in the acute oncology and hospice care settings and roles in both private and nonprofit sectors. And joining her is Elizabeth Hoffler, the Senior Director of Policy and Advocacy at the Prevent Cancer Foundation, a national nonprofit organization which seeks to save lives through cancer prevention and early detection. They are just two of the many people who are the architects of the unbelievably incredible um, I'm sorry. <laughs> I just dropped the ball. The cancer insurance checklist. Please welcome Linda and Elizabeth. Hi, Matthew. Hi there. Hey to Good both evening. of you guys. How are you? Hi. Thanks for calling in. We're, every time we post this on social, the internet breaks. It is so valuable and so well responded to. And it, there's just the healthcare system is broken. Insurance is crazy. And no matter who you are, any age, you're probably just going to be like want to get an aneurysm figuring out the process. There's no real navigation here. And I really do want to commend you and all the other nonprofits, which hopefully we can mention a few of them, that brought this to life, the Cancer Insurance Checklist at cancerinsurancechecklist.org. So uh, why don't we start with Linda? I think you're a returning champion to the Super Cancer Show. Um, and uh, I think you're both, actually, if I'm not mistaken. But Linda, tell us all about uh, cancer Support Community and how this all came to pass. Sure. So the Cancer Support Community is the largest nonprofit employer of mental health professionals. So our, ex- our, our, our area of expertise is around social and emotional support for patients and their families as they are at any point in their, their cancer journey. And, you know, we service patients who have any type of cancer. So we're diagnos- diagnosis agnostic, if you will. And uh, we, we were at ASCO in 2013, and, you know, we were all sort of feeling the pressure of the Affordable Care Act and the decisions 
that would have to be made by patients in a very short order around their healthcare choices. We were all excited about some of the um, the challenges that had been removed through the passing of the Affordable Care Act, and I know that you're incredibly familiar with those, as are a number of your uh, of your constituents, and that pre uh, uh, pre-existing conditions, um, lifetime caps were removed, the allowance for patients or patients young patients um, to be kept on their parents' insurance until the age of 24 were all significant wins uh, in the cancer space. However, that was a little little overshadowed by having to make significant decisions about health care and health care coverage without being fully informed about what that coverage would look like. So we were joined by 19 cancer organizations, and Elizabeth's um, Prevent Cancer Foundation was one of those 19 organizations, to create a tool, a very simple tool that would allow patients as they were shopping the exchange options, really take a look at, okay, who am I now? You know, what treatments do I have now? What doctors do I have now? How do I, you know, make a, a an inventory, if you will, of what my needs are today? We created a checklist that was beyond just the items in the essential health benefits. So if you're somebody who has cancer or you're at risk for cancer, you have these essential health benefits to you, but there are a number of services that you would sort of assume would be a natural part of cancer care that aren't included in the essential health benefits. Um, For example, reconstructive surgery. So we created a worksheet that would allow patients to sort of fill out, okay, what of these type of things might I need in the next six months to uh, a year. And then the back page allows people to really compare those two. What do I need now? What might I need? And you could fill out that that questionnaire for for each plan that you would be reviewing as a part of your decision-making process. And um, that became the cancer insurance checklist. It launched September the 25th in 2013. And uh, the rest is, is history at this point. I'll I'll stop there and let Elizabeth uh, pipe in. Yeah, thanks, Linda. It's always fun working with you because you cover it so well and, and make my job easy. So it's uh, it's great to be on the radio show again. Thank you, Matthew. Uh, the Prevent yeah. Cancer Foundation is such a big fan of stupid cancer. Uh, we're continually inspired and awed by the work that you do, including this radio show. So thank you so much for having us on. Um, just one quick sentence, the Prevent Cancer Foundation is a national organization. We focus entirely on cancer prevention and early detection, and we do that through uh, funding research, education, community outreach, and then advocacy, which is the component that I focus on. So we were thrilled to join with the cancer support community and 19 other cancer organizations, um, among them Patient Advocate Foundation and International Myeloma Foundation and LiveStrong and you name it. Um, it's a really great list to come together and to create this resource. And I have to give Matthew a shout-out because it's so indicative of how he does his work. We were on a conference call to talk about the cancer insurance checklist, and we were talking about, okay, open enrollment's coming up this November. How can we get the word out? And I immediately thought of stupid cancer. Uh, part of the reason was because anyone who's dealing with cancer should know about this tool. It's so helpful, and I hope that um, – I know your users are really savvy – I hope you're at the website right now, which is cancerinsurancechecklist.org, so you can take a look at how simple it is. But I contacted Matthew. It was probably, I don't know, 1 o'clock in the afternoon, and I said, Matthew, it just hit me that some of the folks who really need access to this are, are young people dealing with cancer because it may be the first time that they're actually shopping for insurance by themselves right? So we're hitting up a dual population who's really in need of this resource. So I emailed Matthew at 1 o'clock. Maybe at 1.02, I had an email back that said, done, you're booked for the radio show. This is awesome. (laughs) So, you know, it's so indicative of the way stupid cancer works. It's not about politics. It's not about ownership. It's about getting the resources to people who need them. And we think that this resource is super powerful incredibly helpful. It's simple. It's free. It's available in both English and Spanish. And all folks have to do is go onto the website. You don't even have to give us your information. You just download the resource. You fill out. There's three different worksheets. They focus on care, treatment, and health services and costs. 
um, you know, we can link you with people to help you go through the questions. But overall, um, it's just a really simple, helpful resource for people who are dealing with not only the incredibly complex world of shopping on health insurance exchanges, which we've all heard and, and have dealt with, but also um, the difficulty of maybe facing this for the first time as a young person dealing with cancer. And Yeah, and just to add to your, your comments, I think one of the most scary Oops, sorry, Matthew, go ahead. I just was going to comment on, you know, the insurance system is difficult enough when you're well. Exactly. Correct. And what I was going to say is layer in somebody who is simply at risk of having cancer and all of the mm-hmm. things that are sort of going through their heads. And how do you predict what I'm, I'm buying today, but I, I am at risk for cancer. How can I predict what I might need should I get that that ultimate diagnosis? And that's been one of the things that, that Elizabeth's been great to bring to the table is this whole element of prevention and early detection and thinking through it from, from that lens. It's been really terrific. Yes, thank you, Linda. I think, um, yeah, focusing on if you're at risk for cancer and you purchase this this healthcare plan, is it going to cover the things that you need? And and Linda talked about issues like the fact that there are no lifetime caps or annual limits. Um, you can't be judged based on pre-existing conditions. But we're also seeing issues like uh, network adequacy. You know, most of the health insurance um, exchange plans don't cover, uh, for instance, NCI cancer centers. Um, we're also looking at um, pharmaceutical coverage. So issues like that that I think, you know, overall, the Affordable Care Act has been such an incredible resource, and we were so happy to see it passed. But there are so many nuances and things that cancer survivors must think about when they go into purchasing these plans because it's complex and there are many decisions to be made. And and just for our listeners out there, isn't there a deadline coming up to re-register? What's the timeline now with it? Because I know they just relaunched the website, and there are millions of people that have insurance now. Um, but the cancer issues, are there any other variables? Because, like, let's say you're in treatment and you missed the deadline, or let's say, you know, are, are there accommodations with the uh, Affordable Care Act and cancer that are articulated in this uh, checklist? Yeah, so there is the, all, go, ahead, Linda. go ahead, Elizabeth. <laughs> I'll, I'll just give the open enrollment period, and I'll throw the next next spot to you. Um, <laughs> the open enrollment period, it just started November 15th, 2014. And there are a couple of things, 15th, 2014. So you just have a few months to think about this. If you already have coverage, you might you could stay enrolled in your coverage and keep it going. If you're not thrilled with your coverage or if you have different um, things to think about, you should go in and look at the coverage you have and decide if you want to re-enroll into a new plan. So it's not just for folks who have not gotten insurance coverage yet. It's also for people who are thinking about changing their plans. So, Linda, do you want to follow up on that? Well, I was just going to mention the um, the resource area of the cancer insurance checklist. So on the website, we've got a pretty comprehensive resource sec- section, which will help people gain access to a number of the questions that they might have. And there's actually a, a calculator, a cost calculator, as a part of the resources provided to us by the National Health Council. So as you're you know, going through the checklist and thinking about do you want to make changes, um, I, I would take a look at those resources. I would also say, um, because, Matthew, you asked the question, if, if people miss the, the registration deadline and they don't have coverage and find themselves with a diagnosis of cancer, I would just really emphasize not to miss the deadlines. Right. They're pretty okay. black that's, and white, um, yeah. line, bright lines, and that, that's that's one of them. I would not miss the deadlines. Um, so I want to talk about the prevention and risk because, you know, we talk about people with a history of cancer or at risk for cancer, which is kind of new language, and it's like a 21st century thing to, to talk about. So people who have had certain types of cancer may have a genetic, um, you know, sort of a trickle down to their children. Uh, or their siblings, and they now have this entitlement to get screened genetically. Is that correct? Exactly. So uh, Linda mentioned the essential health benefits. 
And they cover things like preventive care and screening. So, um, you know, following up with, on Heather's, you know, incredible life story and her dealing with the, the gene mutation, um, that's something that should be considered. So if you've got that family history, you would fall under those essential health benefits and you could be screened. Um, you know, they also cover things like mental health service and services and chronic disease management. So it's really important for folks to understand what those essential health benefits are and what they're in titled um, in terms of the care that they should receive. And, um, you know, Matthew, we have had conversations uh, quite a bit about prevention and early detection. And the Prevent Cancer Foundation is happy to, to help folks understand a little bit more about, you know, the lifestyle choices and everything. We totally understand that not all cancers are preventable, but we want to be a resource to people who, if you are at risk, if you've already had cancer, which means that you're going to be at a higher risk for a secondary cancer or recurrence, we want to arm you with the information needed to help you be your own best advocate. Uh, stupid cancer, stakeholders, fans, members are such incredible advocates, and they understand that focus on prevention and early detection is really important. And, you know, the ACA has helped to put a renewed focus on that and offer some resources that weren't available before. Well, again, risk is the new normal at this point now. Predisposition is is something that's such a necessary conversation. We look at young adults affected by cancer, and those could be teens whose mom or dad already had gone through the treatment or, or you know, possibly and sadly maybe even passed from cancer. But those teens, and we talk about Heather was the perfect example. Her daughter's 19 now and can't be screened yet. You know, this is a, a new generation of people getting born into this world of predisposition, but this system now doesn't count genetic predisposition as pre-existing conditions. Yeah, I think, you know, when you get into the concept of genetic testing um, and, you know, figuring out specifically what sort of risk you're at, it, it becomes much more complicated, right? It can be expensive. Um, and, you know, it also can be scary. I was speaking on a panel the other day about stomach cancer, and we were talking about getting uh, genetic testing to see if you're at risk for stomach cancer and the whole, you know, set of emotions that come with that. And by education and training, I'm a social worker. And so I understand that there is this whole other set of issues. Heather talked about her daughter not wanting to get screened yet. And, you know, I think that that self-determination piece is really important because, you know, what if you do have that, that gene mutation or what if you are at risk for certain types of cancer? Um, we want to connect people with resources and services to help them figure out, figure that out and make those decisions um, because it's complicated. It's, it's challenging, it's scary, and it can be expensive. And so we want to help people figure out how they can, you know, take control of their cancer experience or their cancer risk and get connected to the resources that they need. Right. And, and Linda, you, um, I mean, you, you said you have the largest um, employee uh, base of mental health professionals. I would imagine many of the cancer patients and caregivers that come through the doors of cancer support community have insurance issues and questions, right? You, you also give them navigation and guidance, and I assume reference the checklist when necessary. Oh, absolutely. We do. And we just, I know you're, you're well aware of it, but we just launched the results of the first year data from the Cancer Experience Registry. And, you know, some of the implications to patients, both the cost implications and long-term side effects that patients experience as they're going through their cancer journey are significant. And so we spend a lot of time working through those issues with patients and particularly those who are shopping not just the not just the health exchanges but for those who are even have employer based health insurance really helping them understand what's offered to them as a part of their employer based health insurance as they may be making choices between between separate plans and that's something that 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 we do quite frequently and we also work with our partner organizations like Prevent Cancer and the Patient Advocate Foundation to to help solidify some of those resources for patients as well is the process better than it was, or is it more confusing than it was? And, and obviously, a resource like this is making a huge difference. But has you know, in terms of, I guess, consumer feedback, where are we at right now? Well, I, I can speak to that a little bit with with patient data. So. 
part two of the cancer insurance checklist plan was to have the partner organizations document what they were seeing, what they were seeing, services they were that they were providing, um, what questions patients might have. We also are doing a project called the Access Project. It's actually known. It'll have a more formal title once we sort of know the results of that. But the Access Project consists of a 50-question survey that's currently in the field now. And to date, we have about 700 responses to this survey, and it is all about access. Do you like your insurance better or worse than you did last year? Do you understand it more or less than you did last year? Is your access better or worse than it was last year? What's interesting is that we're finding sort of this neutrality, if you will, better for some, worse for others. Some understand it more, some understand it less. It just really is dependent on the patient and on the plan. Um, I think even some of the limitations that patients have with this narrow network idea or out-of-pocket payments, um, and particularly the narrow network, you know, some people are really upset about the narrow networks because they may be losing a physician that they've had access to for years. You may have a physician that's gone through their entire cancer journey with them, and then suddenly before their final reconstruction, they no longer have access to either that physician or the hospital system. There are others who are able to get a plan that more closely meets their needs, but it does mean that they have to change up one of their providers. And so that's been, um, that's been okay with them. So it really is, um, at least what we're finding in, you know, in this data, in this study, uh, and then the, I've, I've also videotaped about 15 patients who are sharing their direct experiences with us. It's, it's really sort of neutral. Well, and just to build on what Linda said, um, Matthew, you asked two pieces of that question. One was, are people confused? And two was, is the system better? I think the answer to both of those questions is yes. Um, you know, I think just because there is some confusion, we've overhauled, you know, the United States healthcare system, and that's going to result in some confusion. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't keep moving ahead and building a bigger, better, more, you know, value-based system that works for more people because, you know, frankly, at the end of the day, if the ACA had not been passed, we would be, um, you know, helping cancer patients and vulnerable and oppressed populations who just could not access care. And, you know, we think that it's really a human right. And so, yes, confusion's high, but the goal with things like the cancer insurance checklist is to bring that level of confusion down and help people to understand their options. Completely so, agree with that response, Elizabeth. I was going to how do you measure the impact of the insurance checklist? Because if, if it's anonymous and you don't know who's downloading the PDF, how, it, does the registry tie into it? Are you doing surveys to ask who's downloaded it and has it been helpful? Or, you know, how, where does it stand in terms of, like, version 2? So we, we, we have metrics on download. So we can, you know, we can tell you how many people have downloaded it. We can tell you how many print copies we have distributed. We can tell you how many visitors we've had, how many people have come back. Um, where we have lost control of it, truthfully, and this is a good thing, is that organizations like the nurse navigator groups in hospitals have taken the checklist and have reproduced it so many times that they can't give us accurate counts of how many times they've reproduced it. So we feel a little bit like, you know, the fact that we've lost control of it in that way is a really, really good sign. Um, I know that, that a number of the partner organizations have had a, a lot of really great feedback about the way in which it's been used and the way in which it's helped patients. We've heard directly from patients that they've used it and they found it very helpful in, in making their, their treatment choices. Elizabeth, I'll let you comment on your experience with it. Yeah, absolutely. Anyone that we refer to this checklist has found it incredibly useful, um, you know, to build on um, Linda's points about not only are there the number of downloads in terms of metrics, but people can choose to, to put their email address in and sign up for updates. We also um, did a survey of those folks who signed up for um, the, the newsletter and to stay up to date to ask them, you know, did this come in useful? Uh, or do you think the right questions are being asked? How can we make it better? And so part of the reason why we wanted to reach out to Stupid Cancer and other groups is if folks go online and take a look at it and say, you know, 90% is great, this 10%, you know, I have a question about this, this doesn't make sense, you know, we want to hear back about that. And, and Matthew, you know, I'm happy to have my information shared if people want to touch base with us. And I'm, I'm sure Linda feels the same way because this document is not, you know, it's not owned by any group. It's not, again, there's not politics involved. It's simply a document that we want to, 
to give to people for free to access and to make the best, most informed decisions possible. So um, after the show is over, if people have input on the checklist or they think that something's confusing or could be better, we're totally open to that. All right, so let's talk about the checklist itself. We've got about, you know, five or eight minutes, five to seven, eight minutes left. The checklist itself, the PDF, um, what could people expect when they take a look at this? What's in there that helps them? Linda, do you want to take that or would you like me to? Go right ahead. Okay. Um, so there are three worksheets that comprise the checklist. Um, they focus on one, my care two, my costs, and three, treatment and health services. So they're sort of very distinct areas of it, and I think people will find each piece important. So starting off with my care, uh, Linda listed that, that network issue, which means that if you're in a narrow network, you might not have access to your oncologist or your primary care provider that you had in the past. So let's go through and figure out which plans include your physicians and specialists and maybe the hospital that you need. So my care really focuses on um, does the plan cover my provider visits, my hospital stays, my care centers, and my medications? Because one of the pieces that's really important for this is that even though prescription medications must be covered under insurance exchange plans, it doesn't mean that they're going to cover every medication. And for people who are going through cancer treatment, that is so incredibly important. You, you know, in this era of personalized medicine, you found the medications which work for you. You found the chemotherapy drugs that work for you. You want to make sure that you can still get them. And that may not be the case under all the plans. So that's a critically important piece um, to focus on and figure out if um, providers are in-network or out-of-network as well. The second piece is treatment and health services. So there's a long list of things that we think that cancer patients should consider. So things like uh, is your chemotherapy covered, radiation, uh, mental health services, clinical trials, all of those things that go into it. And then some of the things that I know stupid cancer has focused a lot on, like fertility preservation, um, transplants. Um, so it really goes from A to Z, from primary care visits all the way down to respite care or hospice care. We want to make sure that, you know, even if some of these pieces aren't incredibly important to everybody out there, they're thinking through them and they can look on the plans to decide if, if the plan is right for them. And then finally, and of course, one of the most important pieces of this is the cost worksheet. So you would go in and say what type of plan you're focusing on. You know, they're divided by metal tiers, so from bronze to platinum. How much that plan is going to cost you per month or what your premium would be? And then how much is your deductible? So we know that the bronze plans have the lowest premium, so you may be paying, say, $50, $80 a month, but you're going to have a really high deductible. And that switches when you're looking at platinum plans. So you're going to have a high premium, say $400 a month, but you may have no deductible. So it depends on what your needs are and where you think you fall in that. So the, the cost worksheet really helps you to figure that out, helps you to figure out maximum out-of-pay expense, co-pay, co-insurance, um, and ask all of the relevant questions you need to know when going into the cancer insurance market, or excuse me, the healthcare marketplace to pick the plan that's right for you. So we try to be as comprehensive as possible, take it from A to Z, but also not be overwhelming in the process. Linda, is there anything else you would add to that? Well, the thing that I would just emphasize um, in, in the conversation is the importance of spending time with those worksheets. We have found that people sort of default to the lowest level, the bronze level, because the out-of-pocket for the premium is less, as Elizabeth had mentioned. However, if you're on any medications at all or if you are seeing a specialist, your out-of-pocket cost for that specialist may be unattainable for you because it is so high. So, you know, with especially with the subsidies that currently exist in, uh, in in the marketplaces today, it really is important to not just default to that lowest level of out-of-pocket premium cost, but to really think about your entire picture 
um, which includes the subsidies that you're going to be getting because you may have access to a higher metal plan, a silver plan or a gold plan, um, at, at the same cost or less than you would pay for the bronze and have a whole lot less expenses out of pockets when you need to fill your prescriptions or go to see a specialist. Yeah, that's a great point, Linda. So I'm, I'm, I just downloaded the PDF. It's about four pages, and I'm just looking at it. So this is meant to be used if you're on the uh, the exchange on healthcare.gov or on one of the state websites. Uh, you can print this out and add the math up, and like it, a laypersonizing of you're really understanding what your needs are. Correct. 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 And uh, or frankly, so if you're shopping employer-based health insurance, you could you could do the same process for employer-based health insurance. But it was designed for the marketplaces. And, and this is probably a relevant question, but I understand that a lot of employer-based health care, uh, most of the people that get cancer and have um, you know medical issues are underinsured, not uninsured. Are there better plans depending on the person? I guess that are not healthcare-based. Can you are people declining their employer-based care for a better package? if they have pre-existing conditions? Uh, I think that there are people who are doing that. I am not sure how satisfied they are with the decision to do that. The only thing that I would add to that is that it, it seems that the health insurance marketplace plans have tended to have narrower networks. So mm-hmm. the issue that I was talking about before in terms of, you know, most NCI um, designated cancer centers aren't covered by a lot of the marketplace plans. And Milliman did a study, which is where I'm pulling that information from. And if, if folks are interested in taking a look at that, I'm happy to provide that information. But, you know, we are seeing that. So when you enter into sort of a highly specialized need area like oncology, um, you know, it just depends. It really depends on what folks are looking for and expecting, but the overall message is just to be as informed as possible and to be really careful when you make these decisions because they can have incredible care and cost implications. Correct. Understood. So, so we, we should put that study on the resource page, Elizabeth. Absolutely. Yeah, talk about that. Talk about the resource yeah. page? Yes. So when the resource page is, yeah. If you're on the if you're on the website, um, there is a whole page of resources which help to, to 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 direct patients towards other resources resources outside of just the cancer insurance checklist. So, for example, I had mentioned the cost calculator that uh, the National Health Council has produced, um, but it also gives you um, definitions. So when you're hearing things like premiums, co-pays, tiering of drugs. Um, coinsurance, those that those those terms in and of themselves are a little intimidating. So the resource directory was essentially established to help direct patients to as much information as possible to help them make decisions. And um, uh, earlier in the show, it was alluded to you know the importance of, of nurses and other health professionals in this. Uh, we encourage. Everybody who's thinking about um, purchasing health insurance over an exchange or has health insurance questions in general, not only are nurses and patient navigators and social workers critically important, but in every state you can access free navigation help through the exchange or if you don't have a state-based exchange to the federal exchange. And so it's also really important to understand that when you're going through this really complex, sometimes overwhelming process, there are people who are there to help. There are people who have been trained to go through this process with you and can answer your questions. So in addition to our resource page, if you would like to be connected with those folks, you know, please, um, we can we can help you do that, or you can look on your state or federal exchange page to figure that information out. Well, it, it really is an extraordinary resource, and, and there's it's very self-evident that lots of time and care and consideration and, and love went into this. There's dozens of nationally acclaimed organizations in the nonprofit patient advocate space that spent, I can't even imagine how many countless hours putting this together. And it's, it's, I mentioned every time we post this on our Facebook page, it, it, the internet breaks. People need this resource. And it, it, we, I can't thank you guys enough for coming together. Collaboration is the new competition. You guys have really uh, shed light on that when you combine together, your voices are louder. Um, but uh, we, so we, we we've been. Um, any final thoughts before we wrap tonight, Linda? First. Well, I just 
I just want to give a, I want to give a shout out to a woman named Michelle Johnston Fleece, who um, was a valuable member of the CSE team, who is now a valuable member of the Patient-Centered Outcomes Research Institute, which is a great opportunity for them and for her. But Michelle is really the person who pulled together the groups, and it was her uh, her brain trust that sort of went around, how do we organize this? How do we get people to agree? How can we lead this coalition? And I just want to, you know, really want to thank her uh, for the work that she's done on the cancer insurance checklist and, and make sure that we give due, give credit where credit is due. Yeah, Linda, absolutely. Michelle is incredible, and I'm happy because she's in D.C. now, but I know that <laughs> that gain is real lost. In in addition, I just want to thank um, Cancer Support Community for their leadership. I encourage anyone who's interested, particularly in the psychosocial aspects of care, to be in touch with them because they're such an incredible resource. And then, of course, Matthew and the team at Stupid Cancer. Um, I have never seen quite a grassroots swell of support and advocacy, um, and so your community is just incredible, and I'm so glad that we got to talk about the cancer insurance checklist. And uh, it's been a pleasure, and we're going to continue to promote it. It's an invaluable resource, and it, and it, and it shows. We've been uh, talking tonight with Elizabeth Hoffler, the Senior Director of Policy and Advocacy at the Patient uh, Prevent Cancer Foundation, and Linda House, the Executive Vice President of External Affairs for Cancer Support Community. The website, again, is cancerinsurancechecklist.org. Thank you so much for joining us. I will talk to you guys soon. Thank you, Matt. Thank you. Have a good night. Bye, Elizabeth. Bye. Well, there you go. And Maureen is enjoying her final <laughs> moments on the Super Cancer Exactly, show. exactly. Well, I hope it was, uh, it's been fun. It has been fun. Yeah. And who knows, maybe they'll even pop in for a cameo now and then. You can do that. We, yeah. won't, we won't shut you out. Thank you. The chair will stay uh, where, where it is. We'll fill it immediately. <laughs> There's a line of people outside the door right now waiting for that spot. You'll have it to won't sign be it. vacant for long. <laughs> you have to sign a non-disclosure every that's, time you come in. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> I agree to still not disclose. <laughs> Well, again, thank you so much for your service on your final Stupid Cancer Show tonight, Maureen Sweet. Thank you. Annie, don't cry. That's okay. All right. We have two boxes of tissues right there. Oh, we do? Yeah. Okay. Well, that's good. We're good. Well, I'll, I'll just, yeah. With that said, thank you again. It is time for our closing sequence. Prepare to activate. Uh, I hear there's rumors on the uh, internets. You ever seen a grown man naked? And so, to all of you, a fond farewell. Hooray, I'm helping. You are a meathead. Oh, Magoo, you've done it again. That was so terrible, I think you gave me cancer. Okay, folks, that's our show. Our 329th broadcast. We hope you had as much fun as we did. Talking to sick. Uh, stupid cancer. We'd like to thank our guests tonight, Heather Swift, Linda House, and Elizabeth Hoffler. Next week's show, Critical Mass, is a powerful coalition of advocacy organizations and institutions dedicated to improving the lives of young adults with cancer. Join us as we welcome President and CEO of Critical Mass, Heidi Adams, to discuss their mission and impact for young adults with cancer and the advocate spotlight on custom wig maker and hairstylist, Maria Dearman. Subscribe to our show anytime for free on iHeartRadio, iTunes Podcast, and Blog Talk Radio, and check us out anytime online at stupidcancershow.org. Remember, folks, if it ain't stupid, it ain't cancer. Live from the chemo deck, on behalf of myself and the Stupid Cancer News Team, Kenny Kane, Maureen Sweet's Last Night, Mallory Rivera, and Sean Shapiro, thanks for listening. We'll see you back here next Monday, live at 8. Good night, and have a healthy and happy Thanksgiving. Good night, folks. Happy Thanksgiving.